Welcome to the IERA Charity Management Theories. As the General Data Protection Regulation GDPR deadline looms, charities run the risk of being caught unaware. In this episode, join IERA CEO Hamza Andreas Zortzis as we take you on a journey through how we are preparing for the biggest change in data protection law ever. Hi everybody, Assalamu alaikum, may peace be upon everybody. This is the first installment, if you like, of IRA's charity management series. And today's webinar is going to be on GDPR for charities. So, just a little bit of background. Firstly, let me introduce very quickly what IRA is about. IRA is a UK-based charity with a global reach and we are dedicated in conveying the call by advancing the prophetic mission which is helping humanity reconnect the hearts to the Creator and we aim to do this compassionately and intelligently so that's IERA and we work across the six continents and we are quite busy actually especially in this period we've just come back from Kuwait we're going to Mexico and to Honduras and to Japan and South Korea in the next couple of weeks now one of the main reasons why we wanted to do these webinars was to basically share best practice because IERA as a charity is quite unique from the point of view that there are not many charities that are dedicated in articulating Islam with compassion and reason and what we found in our history is that you know we did a few mistakes and many of you may know that in 2014 we had a charity commission investigation that investigation now is complete and we've been moving forward in the past couple of years Around a year ago, I was given the opportunity to help run the charity as the CEO and I really wanted IERA to not only be in line with Charity Commission guidance but to basically move towards best practice because there is a difference between best practice and just following Charity Commission guidance. I wanted this organisation IERA, our organization, to be as successful as possible in ensuring that we follow due diligence, that we follow best practice governance, that we follow good risk management. You know, we've been implementing policies such as dignity at work policy. We have a safeguarding against extremism policy that I think is, 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 is one of the most robust policies uh, in the UK. And this is something that we're going to share in this charity management series as well. So I think it's very important and it's, it's part of the Islamic ethic as well that if you're moving forward as an organisation that you actually share best practice as well because we believe we have an ethical duty to basically you know share what is best practice for all charities, Muslim and non-Muslim, to grow and to move forward in the best way possible. And this is exactly what we want to do. So hopefully many of you will be attending all of these webinars and we welcome constructive feedback and just advice as well. And we hope that you also benefit in, in, in a huge way. 
So what's our, our GDPR journey? Around November, December last year, we basically were moving on with our implementation of best practice. For example, we already implemented a safeguarding, a safeguarding against extremism policy. We also implemented a risk management policy and procedure. Uh, we developed a risk management group uh, and we implemented best practice systems in order for us to ensure policy implementation. So the next step was GDPR. So what we decided to do is basically try to do our own reading and we also went to different best practice information portals like the ICO website and, 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 other, um, and other portals, other information outlets just to get a general reading. But then we found that we, sh we should have or we should basically outsource this in order for us to be as compliant as possible. So we hired a legal team or we outsourced it to a legal consultant to basically help us understand how to implement this new regulation. And we started off with a meeting and then from that meeting we made the consultant and the council, the legal council understand who we were, what we wanted to do, uh, how robust we wanted to become. Um, we explained to them our systems and our processes, how we capture data, how we've captured data in the past, um, our donations, the kind of data that we have relating to donations and all of these things. So as a result, we basically got a data protection policy complete. We, got, we basically also got all the necessary documentation that was required in order for us to be fully compliant. Um, a lot of these documents are available, are available to you now for free. Um, if you go to the handout section uh, on the webinar, it should be on the right-hand side of your screen, but I'm going to refer, refer you to this in, in, in a little while. So that was our GDPR kind of journey, and then we tried to implement this in our systems, and we're still implementing it too. Um, so, so we're still in the implementation process, and as a result, I started to speak to various CEOs and senior management in different charities to find out what they were doing. And to my surprise, many people were not were not compliant and they didn't even know what GDPR was. I mean, I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with the leading charity and they didn't have a clue. Um, also, I had some consultants come to see me to actually Get, get all the stuff that we've done so far in order for them to basically teach their clients, which are other charities, on how to become GDPR compliant. So I thought to myself, oh my God, you know, there's an issue here, you know, we, and, and we, had, we have an ethical duty to basically, you know, share this best practice and share this knowledge for everyone to be as compliant as possible. So that's our GDPR journey from that point of view. So let's now go into the details so this is what we're going to cover. We're going to, we're going to cover what GDPR is. We're going to go through the data protection principles, data protection, sorry, data subject rights, the data controller obligations, um, notifications, data protection breaches, and becoming GDPR compliant. And there are going to be, there are going to be some things that I'm going to advise you to do immediately in order to save you, um, save your data and also to save you a lot of time in, in the future. So. What is GDPR? Now, 
by the way, many of you may know a lot of this information, but I'm going to assume that the attendees of this webinar have, have no clue on what's going on, okay? So for those who have some, have some knowledge, um, apologies in advance, but it, it's a good reminder for everybody. So the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, came into force actually two years ago, the 25th of May 2016, and it's, it's going to become applicable in law in around six weeks or seven weeks and that's going to be on the 25th of May 2018. So all organizations and charities will need to become GDPR compliant by the 25th of May 2018. That's, that means if any of your data is not GDPR compliant by that date, you will have to erase and delete all of that data. Now, as you know, this is a new governing legislation for collecting and processing data in the EU. And it's going to apply in Britain post-Brexit as well. By the sounds of it, there's not going to be much legal changes concerning GDPR, and it's going to apply post-Brexit in the UK. So GDPR still has many of the principles that you know we already know about concerning data protection, if you refer to the Data Protection Act 1998. Um, however, there are new requirements, for example, the restriction of the use of consent as a justification for processing data. So what that really means is, is that when you capture data, it has to be restricted to a specific purpose. And the way you capture it has to be unambiguous and it has to be clear from that point of view. And if you're capturing that data for more than one purpose, then it has to be specified per purpose. And I'm going to discuss this a little bit later, but say, for example, you want to basically share information about your events and you want to basically use that data to fundraise. You would have to have, for example, two tick boxes that specify each purpose very clearly. Uh, generally speaking, in the past, what many charities and other organizations would do is just have one tick box saying we can use your data. That is not GDPR compliant. And I'm going to discuss that in a, sh in, 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 in a few minutes. So breach of GDPR is actually, you know, it's, it's, there's a huge financial risk and a PR risk, to be honest, because it can lead to a maximum five of 20 million euros or 4% of annual revenue, whichever is higher. So it's very important as a charity for you to have effective risk management processes in place. We are going to share this best practice about risk management in the next couple of months. But just as a quick note, it's very, very important for charities to have to have risk management best practice in place from the point of view that you think about what are the adverse effects on, on my charity. For example, one adverse effect could be, you know, public relations or financial. So in the context of GDPR, you can write down in your risk management spreadsheet or database there is a risk, which means an adverse effect, there is a risk that we will suffer significant fines as a result of not being GDPR compliant. And then you'd have to assess the impact of that and the likelihood of that occurring. And you'd have to have certain mitigations, which means actions that lower the impact of the risk or lower the likelihood of the risk of occurring. And those mitigations could be I'm attending this webinar, I'm um, getting advice from governance consultants, I'm in the process of implementing GDPR. So it's very important for you to understand this from a, 
wider risk management perspective because it can have a financial risk. It can also have a PR risk, a public relations risk. For example, the legal counsel that we spoke to, he was under the impression that this can be the new insurance scam, um, the equivalent, you know, the data protection equivalent of the car insurance scam, where people are going to be basically, you know, contacting organizations and uh, making a complaint to the ICO. Right. And then as a result, there's going to be so many different, there's going to be fines, you know, coming left, right and center to every organization. No, I don't think that's going to be the case, but there is a there is a possibility in it, specifically when it comes to the charity sector. You know, if you look at charity commission best practice, you know, charities have an obligation to basically, you know, defend themselves and have a good reputation. And, you know, this this is a reputational risk because the last thing you want is, you know, people complaining about your organization because you have basically, you know, misused their data or you're not following best practice or you're not GDPR compliant. And that can be that that can have severe consequences for your future fundraising and for the achievement of your charitable objects. Now, this is for the wider charity sector. Now, imagine for the Muslim charity sector, which, you know, generally speaking, you know, there, there is a certain climate at the moment that, you know, there are a few more microscopes, if you like, you know, over the Muslim chari charitable sector. And, you know, there is a responsibility for all charities to basically ensure that they have... Um, the right mitigations in place. And when it comes to GDPR, it's very important that you basically manage a potential PR risk, which is, you know, you not being GDPR compliant. And, and that's why I strongly recommend everyone to take this extremely seriously. So, one important thing to understand are the data protection principles, which are, quite universal and generic from a common sense point of view. They were part of the previous Data Protection Act, but also they're, they're part of the data protection principles of GDPR. So it's important for you to not only understand these principles, but to ensure that they're implemented in an operational manner, which I'm going to discuss a little bit further. But let's just go through the data protection principles. So one of them include that data must be processed lawfully fairly and in a transparent manner in relation to the subject, okay? So again, if you're going to capture anyone's data, you have to have, for example, a tick box or equivalent on your data interfaces. It could be a website or whatever the case may be, and that it specifies for the particular um, for the particular purpose, and it has to be legal, and it has to be unambiguous and transparent. For example, you'll have a tick box and it would say, I give consent for IERA to use my data for the purposes of sending me weekly newsletters. That's unambiguous, that is transparent, that's lawful, and it's specific to one purpose. If it was for more than one purpose, then you'd have to have another tick box specific to the additional purpose. It can't be on the same line. That would not be in line with GDPR. The data also has to be collected for specified, explicit, and legitimate purposes and not further processed in a manner that is incompatible with those purposes. So I've just mentioned if you have a tick box and it says, I give permission for IERA to use my data to send me weekly newsletters, and you also use that data for fundraising, that is 
a breach of the data protection principles and a breach of the regulation, which is quite severe. And you know, if you don't have good systems in place and you accidentally misuse someone's data for more than one purpose, although you collected that data for one specific purpose, then that would be a breach of GDPR. Also, the data, the way it's captured, has to be adequate, relevant and limited to what is necessary in relation to the purposes for which they are processed, which we've just mentioned. The data has to be accurate and, where necessary, kept up to date. Therefore, every charity, every organisation must take reasonable steps to ensure that the personal data are, that any personal data that are inaccurate, having regard to the purpose for which they are processed, are erased or rectified without any delay. So basically, data has to be accurate and where necessary kept up to date. So the advice is that, as per the data protection policy that we've given you for free, that you must do a yearly data cleansing exercise. And if you find any data that's inaccurate, and any data that is not in line, that's being used and it's not in line for the particular purpose in which it was processed, then that has to be rectified without delay or erased. Also, the data has to be kept in a form which permits identification of data subjects for no longer than is necessary for the purposes for which personal data are processed. So, for example, um, according to the data protection policy we have given you, you can keep data for a year. For example, if someone applied to your charity, okay? So say they applied for a role to, to the charity and you've captured some of the data as a result of their CV, their curriculum vitae, and, you've, and it's in line with your equal, equal opportunities policy. Um, if they didn't get the job, you are, you are allowed to keep that data for one year. After that year, when you do your data cleansing exercise, you have to delete that data. Also, if, for example, the data that you have is a donor's data and they're giving you regular monthly donations, for example, via a merchant service or just via a direct debit, if they stop, for example, today, you have a legal obligation to keep the data for one year. For one year. So, and you can't keep it for any longer. So that's something, something for you to consider, something that is very important. That's why data cleansing exercises are advised. The current advice is once a year, but I think best practice would it take to do it bi-yearly. Also, another data protection principle is that it must be processed in a manner that ensures appropriate security of personal data, of personal data including protection against unauthorised or unlawful processing against, and against accidental loss, destruction or damage using appropriate technical or organisational measures. Now, you can decide how you do this. We're not going to really talk about how to do this in this webinar, but you know there are ways of making sure that the data is accessible and that the data is also protected. For example, if you're moving data from one system to another, one PC to another, you could put it on a USB if you are able to basically have some kind of encryption on the USB and you can ask your ICT personnel on how you can get that done and that's it's not it's not that difficult to be honest there's there's lots of ways of ensuring that data is now encrypted um, but that's something that we're not going to mention here but it's important to have this data protection principle implemented in your organization from an operational point of view now 
data subject rights. Now, before we get into this, we have to discuss what is a data subject. Well, a data subject is any natural person about whom information is obtained, stored, and or processed by your organization, or any person or organization acting on your behalf, on your organization's behalf, for any reason associated with your organization. So let me just repeat. Although this is, in, this is inside the data protection policy we've given you, but let me just repeat it. Date, a data subject is any natural person about whom information is obtained, stored, and or processed by your organization, or any person or organization acting on your behalf for any reason associated with your organization, okay? So data subjects have rights. And by the way, and this is very important for you to understand, a data subject is not only someone who lives in the EU, because we know this GDPR is a EU regulation, but it doesn't apply to only EU citizens. It applies to anyone who travels in the EU as well. So for example, someone from the United States can come to the EU for work or for a holiday, and they may share their data in the EU. They are a data subject and they have data subject rights under the GDPR. So don't think that it's only for people who are EU citizens. It's actually anyone who, can, who travels within the jurisdiction of the EU in terms of its geographical location and where the GDPR can be applied. So these data subjects, which are not necessarily only EU citizens, have right of access, right of rectification, right to erasure, right to restriction, right to portability, and right to objection. So let's discuss these. So what does right to access mean? Well, basically, it is the right to obtain a copy of personal data of the data subject and the details of processing carried out by or on behalf of your organization. So for example, um, if I am a data subject and you've collected my data, say for example, you represent certain charities you can basically, now if, I've, if you've taken my data, I can basically email you or contact you and say, right, you got my data. I want to obtain what data you have that is connected to myself. And I want to know how you've processed that data or who's processed that data, that data on behalf of your organization. And you would have to give that to me within a certain period of time. So that's my right of access. Also, I would have right of rectification. So that is the right to ensure that errors in data are held by your organization are corrected. So for example, if you've got my email address and you've got my, my name and you have my home address, if, for example, my home address is wrong, you know, say it's got the county wrong or it's got the door number wrong, then you know, I have a right for you to correct that information. Also, I have a right to erasure, which means that under certain circumstances, that, that the personal data that you hold of mine is, to is totally erased. Obviously, there are some legal requirements. Uh, for example, you know, there's a legal requirement from the point of view of holding donors data for at least one year. I mean, notwithstanding, generally speaking, for any other reason, and please clarify that with, with the relevant legal teams that you have, I can basically ask for my data to be removed. I would also have right to restriction. So that this means that, that I have a right to the, for, for, for my um, data to be restricted. 
uh, under certain circumstances. So, you know, say you have the personal data of my, you have my email and you have my um, address, I can ask you not to use my postal address, for example, under certain circumstances. Also, there's the right to portability, which means that this is the right to obtain a copy of personal data obtained by the controller from the data subject in a portable machine readable, readable form and also to have it transferred to another controller if so desired. So, for example, as a data subject, I can basically say to you, okay, can I have all the personal data that you have connected to myself as a data subject? Um, in a portable form. So you could give it to me in a hard drive that's encrypted or in a USB that's encrypted. Um, and obviously, don't forget the data protection principles when you're giving someone a portable machine. You can't give someone a portable machine and on the USB, it's been, it's been accessed by everybody and the people that it's accessed by, they haven't signed a data protection guidance form or they haven't uh, read the data protection policy or they are not the official people within the organization to even um, collect or process or carry any data. So you have to be very, very careful that even if you give a portable machine like a USB or hard drive, that it's encrypted, in my view, it should be encrypted, and it has to be in line with the data protection principles we, we mentioned previously. Also, a right to objection, that I have a right to object that you process my data. And obviously this is under certain circumstances and I advise you to basically speak to the appropriate authorities or legal team to understand what those circumstances will be. So, data controller obligations. Now, it's very important to understand that, generally speaking, the charity itself is considered the data controller. Okay, so think about it. As a charity, you are the data controller because for all intents and purposes, you are the legal entity or the person or persons who determine the purpose and the means of processing the personal data. So most charities do this when you collect someone's email, when you collect someone's number or when you collect data because of, 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 of donations. It's very important for you to understand that if you're going to basically determine the purpose of processing that data, then automatically you now are the data controller. So the organization is the data controller and it could be an individual or a collective. Now, it's very important to understand that the data controller is obligated to ensure the data subject rights. These are the rights that we just spoke about, okay? It's very, very important. So the right to access, the right to rectification, the right to erasure, the right to restriction, the right to portability and the right to objection, these are your obligations now as a data controller. You have to ensure that these are in place, that these rights are fulfilled, if you like, otherwise you're in breach of GDPR. So that would mean as, you know, as an operations manager or as a data protection officer or whatever the case may be, you would have to basically ensure from an operational point of view that you have the right systems in place in order for you to fulfill the rights of the data subject. This is extremely, extremely important. I cannot, I cannot emphasize this enough that you should have um, the systems in place in order for you to fulfill the rights of the data subject. However, there are some additional obligations as well. So not only must the data, data controller fulfill the, 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 the rights of access, rectification, erasure, restriction, portability, and the right to objection, but also the data controller will consider data minimization, meaning they will only collect such personal data as is required to do the required processing. This would differ depending on whether the data subject is an employee, a volunteer, 
or a donor. Okay, so that's very important for you to consider. Also, you will have to consider data retention. So you will only retain personal data for as long as is reasonably required by law or good practice following the last contact with the data subject. The retention period differs depending upon whether the data subject is an employee, a volunteer, or a donor. So it's very important for you to understand the legal requirements con concerning the retention periods. I did mention previously that for um, HR purposes, I think you can have it for a year, and for a donor, you can have it for a year, but double check. Okay, it's very important for you to double check, and we are going through the process of double checking th 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 these, these type of implications. Um, we know for the donors it's a year, but please double check as well concerning um, employees or if someone's a volunteer. The next one is data cleansing. You have to consider data cleansing, which means the data controller, which are yourselves, will carry out a data cleansing exercise annually, and as a, res and as a result, data will be retained for no longer than one year in excess of the required retention period, okay? So for example, for a donor, uh, we, would, we would have to keep the data for at least a year from the last donation, and we can also retain the data for, for no longer than one year in excess of that require that retention period also you have to consider privacy by design so you're taking the responsibility to design and engineer systems so that personal data are not misused and so that the data is stored and proce processed in a manner which is consistent with minimizing the opportunity for data loss and data being processed in a manner which has no lawful basis so you have to consider those systems in place. I already mentioned, for example, concerning one of the rights, the right to portability, that the data subject has the right to basically obtain their data in a portable machine. So one of the systems you may have to have in place is that that portable machine, whether it's a hard drive or a USB, has to be encrypted, for example. That would be in line with the data protection principles, for example. So it'd have to be in encrypted and you'll have to have a data protection policy that everyone has been trained on and is implemented within your organization that there's only going to be one specific person that is allowed to use the data and my advice would be that you should have a data protection kind of guidance form that the relevant staff sign that they understand that they've read the data protection policy and they understand the implications and that they understand how to use data and, and they've understood what the data subject rights are and that is very important for best practice. I do suggest that you have an additional appendix, for example, in the data protection policy that we've given you. And that would be like a data protection guidance form that personnel could sign or the relevant personnel within your organization can sign. So you could ensure um, your due diligence that you've actually trained the relevant staff and that they basically have understood the data protection rights and they've understood the processes within, processes within the organization that ensure the data protection rights and that they ensure the implementation of the data protection principles. Also, another obligation, which is a very important obligation of your organization, is notifications. Okay, this is very, very important. And we've given you the policy and notification templates. So for example, where personal data has been obtained from the data subject directly, it is your organization's responsibility to provide the data subject with information if the data subject does not already have it. For example, if you have taken data from a donor, okay, so you've got donor data, which you have every right to use, if, and especially if you've done it in a GDPR compliant way, 
what you'll have to do is to provide the donor with information. So it's called Article 13 and 14 notifications. And that information basically goes through a whole list of information that they have to have in order to basically ensure that their, their data is in line with GDPR. So for example, you have to provide them with the following information the identity and the contact details of the controller, which would be yourselves or a specific officer within your organization, the contact details of the data protection officer if such a person has been appointed, the purposes of the processing and the legal basis for that processing, what if any legitimate interests of IERA, in our case, or your organization or of a third party is relied on as the legal basis of the processing, the recipients of categories of recipients of recipients of the personal data, if any, uh, if transfer of any, if if transfer of the data to a third country or to an international organisation is intended, whether or not there is an adequacy decision of the European Commission in force in respect of that country or any appropriate or suitable safeguards which are relied upon and how the data subject can obtain a copy of those safeguards. Basically, if you're going to send the data to outside of the EU, then there are certain things that you have to mention. Um, I mean, for our purposes as IERA, we do not give any data to any other organization and none of our data post the 24th of May will be in a system that is outside of the EU. Because what's very important, uh, you can't transfer data outside of the EU even in an electronic format, which means if you have servers, database servers, even if it's an, a cloud system, that server cannot be outside of the EU. And that's very important for you to 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 consider um i don't i don't know how big your organizations are i don't know i don't know where you store your data but if at the present time the data is stored in a cloud or in an online system or in a database or in a server and that is not in the eu then that is currently not gdpr compliant and you have to take measures immediately you also have to give them for how long the personal data will be stored or the criteria used to determine that period the point is, this information is in the data protection policy we've just given you, and we have provided a notification for donors, okay? So it's very important. Now, you could amend some of the information to give it to non-donors as well, because we appreciate that charities also deal with donors and non-donors. So we have given you the notification template for donors, which is robust, but you may have to amend that or read the data protection policy in order to create your own notification for non-donors and it, it shouldn't be that complicated. So before we go into how we become GDPR compliant, let's talk about data protection breaches. Now a data protection breach is defined as a breach of security leading to the accidental or unlawful destruction, loss, alteration, unauthorized disclosure of or access to personal data transmitted, stored or otherwise processed. So any employee or servant, agent of your organization or any volunteer working with the organization who becomes aware of a data protection breach or possible data protection breach is required to inform the data protection manager as soon as possible. Now the data protection manager or officer on becoming aware of the breach, it is the obligation of the organization as a whole and of the person responsible to inform the regulator. So from the UK point of view, our regulator is the ICL, the Information Commissioner's Office. And you have to do this within 72 hours. If not, you are in breach. And I've, we've provided here the link of the ICL link for, for organizations to report a breach. 
Now, the data subjects themselves must be informed of any breach affecting their personal data within, within, within a certain period of time. We've put five days, but it can be a little bit longer, but you have to consult um, a legal team or consult an external consultant in order for you to basically have the appropriate number of days for your organization. We've put five because we think it's best practice. So you have to contact the data subject within five days unless, and this is very important, unless you as an organization is able to demonstrate that the data breach is unlikely to result in a risk to the rights and freedoms of the data subject. Now this is an ambiguous point, unlikely. What does unlikely mean? How long is a piece of string? If you have good risk management in place, then you should be recording these data protection breaches as part of your risk management exercise. So if you have risk management, and we're going to discuss risk management in, in, in a forthcoming webinar, you would have to say there is a risk um, that a particular data subject is, is, is uh, 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 that that there is a risk to their rights and freedoms. So there is a risk that as a result of this data breach, there is a, there is a violation of the rights and freedoms of the particular data subject. Um, and then when you assess that risk, you look at the impact and likelihood and you do your assessment and analysis and you do mitigations. One of the mitigations would be, we have to inform the data subject and we have to, and, and as a result of, of informing the ICO. So you have to inform the ICO anyway, but you should do your own risk management exercise to understand whether or not that data breach of uh, that data breach um, basically is a risk to the rights and freedoms of the data subject. If, it, if it's a high likelihood that it could be a risk to the rights and freedoms of the data subject, then you have to inform them as well. If the likelihood is, is low, okay, if it's low, based upon the assessment that you've recorded, because it's very important to record this down in some kind of risk management spreadsheet or database. If it's low and you've recorded it and you've minuted it and you have, for example, a risk management group or you do risk meetings weekly or monthly um, or ad hoc um, uh, and when necessary, then basically if you've written it down and it's minuted, then that's your due diligence done. So if you were to get audited or if there was a, more, there was a formal complaint, you would say, we 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 were we were aware that there was a a there was a breach of data. We did our risk assessment. We spoke to the ICO. We did our own risk assessment in our uh, in accordance to our risk management pr uh, process process and, um, and procedure and policy. And as a result, we found that the risk was low in likelihood. It was it was a low risk because we believe it wouldn't infringe on the rights and freedoms of that particular data subject. And this is our discussion and you could minute it and put a link to the minutes and you could summarize some of the actions or the outcomes of the assessment that you've done. This is very robust. You've shown, you've done your due diligence. So you can never be accused now from this point of view of mismanage, mismanagement from that point of view. So the reason I've mentioned this for a bit is for you to understand that there is a link between data protection and risk management and even extremism policies and even dignity at work. And that's why as an organization, you have to understand things in a holistic manner, that things always interlink. So that's why sometimes when it comes to data protection breaches and for you to be in line with GDPR, then you may have to also consider within your organization a, an effective risk management policy and procedure and an effective, an effective systems within my organization in order for me to basically capture risk, um, measure risk, assess risk, and mitigate them. 
Um, and that's why the next uh, webinar will be on risks because we feel this is extremely important, especially for charities. Don't worry if you're confused, we're going to have question and answers, okay? Right, so becoming GDPR compliant, right? We're not going to cover everything now, but we want to cover as much as possible for you to be basically somewhat compliant and being on your journey to be fully compliant. So, what we're going to cover? Well, you don't want to lose your data, right? That's so important. Charities need data, right? And we're going to cover that your systems and interfaces need to be GDPR compliant and we're going to cover the fact that you want to implement a GDPR compliant data protection policy. So, let's deal with this. Right, let's go to the first one. You don't want to lose your data. We all know charities, charities thrive on data. Data is king, as they say. We need data in order to communicate our objects, in order to inspire and motivate people to basically help us achieve our objects. And sometimes that could be becoming a volunteer to help us to, to help us do certain actions and activities and projects. It could be that you know we want their donations, we want their financial support. It could be a whole range of things. Now, for the purpose of GDPR, for charities there are basically two types of data. Donors and non-donors. Okay? Now donors is quite self-explanatory. It's someone that gives a one-off or regular donation to your charity. Non-donors is could be anyone really that doesn't give a donation. It could be an employee, it could be a volunteer, it could be a previous employee, it could be someone who has attended an interview but didn't get the job. It could be someone who's interested in the work of your charity but doesn't give you but but, but that doesn't give you any monies or any donations, okay? Now, you have to have a default understanding that all the data that you have is not GDPR compliant, okay? So all of your data that you currently have is not GDPR compliant, okay? And that includes your donors and non-donors. So to become GDPR compliant, there's a few things that you need to do immediately, okay? The first thing is, is to notify your donors, and the second thing is to communicate with your non-donors to recapture the data in a GDPR compliant way. So let's help you do this, okay? So notify your donors. Now, when we sat with the legal team, I nearly had a heart attack, okay? Because, you know, we rely on regular donations. You know, we have thousands of donations in the UK and all across the world. And we were thinking, oh my God, if, the, if we have to recapture all the donors' data in a GDPR compliant way, we're in big trouble because we could potentially lose loads of money. <laughs> we'll be in big trouble. It's a huge financial risk. So this is why we, got consultancy, consultancy support, we got the legal counsel to help us and thank God, alhamdulillah, it, it wasn't as, as bad as we thought. So due to the nature of the way the donors gave us money or have given you money and their data, there is no need to obtain reconsent. So that's the good news, <laughs> right? So say for example you have 10,000 people giving you regular donations, you don't have to go to each of that, each data subject and get reconsent because it's, it's the contractual route of the way they've given you their data via them giving you monies um, dictates that you don't have to get re-consent. However, you do have to send them a notification as per the obligations of the data controller, which is you, okay? So it's very important that you have to send them a notification. So see the notification template we have given you, okay? So this notification template that you have is specific for donors. And remember, you could amend it and you could use the data protection policy, the data that's within it. 
the content that's within it, the information that's within it, in order for you to do the same for uh, people who have um, given you their data for other than donations um, and for that to be GDPR compliant. But I'm going to discuss that, discuss that in, a, in a little while. So, that notification template, you could put your organization's name in it and you also may have to change some of the merchant services because as you know, many charities, they use merchant services to obtain um, monies. For example, they may use uh, PayPal or BT MyDonate or WorldPay or Stripe. Now, all of these merchant services, they have to be GDPR compliant. Okay, and this is very important. So, within the notification template we've given you, we've assessed some of those merchant services or we've spoken about the merchant services. But there is a separate document that's in your handouts that's IRS specific. We've got the legal counsel to do an extensive exercise on the current merchant services that we have. And they came to the conclusion that none of the merchant services were GDPR compliant. So the advice that they gave us was that we need to contact them as an organization and ask them, are you going to be GDPR compliant? And they all said yes. So that's the good news. Now you can use that lengthy document as part of your uh, information, background information, due diligence, because I believe many of you as charities are using similar merchant services. Now, if I would argue that if some of the merchant services are not in the document that you can download that we've given you for free, um, still assume that the merchant services that you're using are currently not GDPR compliant. So please contact them directly like we have and say, are you going to be GDPR compliant? And if you are, what are you doing about it to be compliant by the 25th of May? Um, and they should give you an email back. And if they give you an email back, you should print it out, put it in your files, and that means you've done your due diligence. And, and emails are legal documents. And then, you know, potentially you could get them in trouble if, 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 they, if they don't become GDPR compliant, right? So that's very important that you do that. You have to send a notification as per the obligations of the data controller, which is you. So all the donors that you have, say for example, you have 10,000 emails of, and that's linked to, e those emails are linked to donors. Those donors will have to receive that notification, okay? The easiest way to do it is simply email them. That's all you need to do. You just have to email them that notification, okay? And you don't even have to guarantee that they basically have read the email because you could send that email multiple times um, because you know it's best practice for you to give people receipts every time they give you a regular donation, for example, and in that receipt, you could give them a link to the notification template or to the not notifications um, document that we've given you. And please don't forget to uh, understand that it is a template and you have to add your own information in there, like the organization's name and the, and the type of merchant services that you have. Now, as I said, this only applies to existing donors. So any new donations will need to have the notification prior to clicking the donation button or signing a direct debit form. Now, this is very important for you to understand. And my advice, my strong advice is that you have to do this immediately. You have to do this immediately, right? The reason you have to do this immediately because you don't want to have to do this at the end, right, of May because you want, you want to start now. There's something very simple that you can do right now in your interfaces, whether it's a website or whatever the case may be. You could basically um, ensure that new donors from now are GDPR compliant. And the way to do that, say for example, electronically you have a donation form, before they click the donate button, you simply have these two lines, as you can see here. Read our notification, how we will use, store and collect your data. 
And you could enter the link right there. And underneath, there could be a tick box and it says, I have read Organizations X, for example, say it's um, Solace or Muntada Aid. I have read Muntada Aid's notification on using my data for this donation. And they cannot process with the payment unless they tick that box. And that ensures that all of your donors are now GDPR compliant. Do this immediately, guys, because if you get donations from now until the end of May, say you get a thousand donations, it will be operationally intensive for you to basically go back and resend them an email again, for example. Yeah, I mean, it might not take that much time, but you have to segregate email lists and all of these things. It could be a little bit of a nightmare. So I would advise you to do this immediately. So I hope that's clear that you have to notify your existing donors and change your interfaces that you have, whether they're online, the, your online interfaces in, in order for you to uh, ensure GDPR compliant. Now, if you, if you use a direct debit form, for example, my advice is that operationally you should have a process in place that before you submit the form, you email them the, GDP, the GDPR notification for donations. And that's what my advice would be, okay? So, the next thing is we need to recapture our non-donor data. You know, it's not just about getting money. Uh, you know, charities, we want to fulfill our charitable objects, which, you know, in the case of IERA is to convey a compassionate and intelligent case uh, for Islam to the wider society. You know, for for example, Solace is about taking care of new Muslims. For Muntada Aid, it might be basically, you know, ensuring that, you know, humanitarian support in various parts of the world. So what's very important is that, you know, these data, ob these charitable objects we want to fulfill. And the way to do that is not only by receiving money, but getting people active and getting people inspired in order for them to basically help us fulfill our charitable objects. Now, many of you may have huge data lists. I know, I know you have data lists because you, you have my emails. And frankly, none of you, <laughs> none of you asked for my permission, right? So I know some of you are not even GDPR compliant. I mean, we're, we're not, we're, none of us are yet. And we will be, hopefully, by the 24th of May, midnight, yeah? So what's very important is that you don't want to lose all that data. Because if, you, that, if that data remains the same, you haven't reached out to them to basically get reconsent and recapture that data, if you like, that non-donor data, then you will have to delete all that data and you have to start from scratch. And really, if you look at mark, marketing expertise at the moment, yes, social media is great, but still, they still say email, email is king, right? So, so my advice is don't lose your emails and there's a way to do this. So you have until the 25th of May to recapture non-donor data you have, okay? Any data subjects that do not give you consent, they do not re-consent if you like, they must be deleted, okay? So here's a case study. The case study is Queen Mary Events and Hospitality. Now, this, the email they sent me was, was generally good. I mean, from a GDPR point of view, I would have liked it to be a little bit more robust, but you know, it's really, really good that they took the initiative to do this before many people. And look at the email. It says, Events and Hospitality by Queen Mary. Do you still want to hear from us? So that's the, that's the subject title. So trying to get my attention. So dear Andreas, you may have heard about a new data law that comes into force this May. The law called the General Data Protection Regulation GDPR affects how every organization is able to communicate you communicate with you. To meet the new rules, we have to be absolutely sure that you want us to email you. 
So if you were to keep receiving regular updates from Events and Hospitality Queen Mary, please let us know by completing our new mailing list subscription form. And then they could click this button saying, yes, I want to keep receiving your emails. And it says below, you will see how often you can expect to hear from us if you sign up to our new email list. News once every 13 weeks, special offers once every 18 weeks. And then you can read the verse for yourself. There is a problem with this email. It's a good start, but I think there is something wrong. And we're going to email them just to give them this advice as well. If you remember about the data protection principles we mentioned, what's the problem with this email? The major problem with this email, guys, is that they have two purposes here. They said you're going to receive this information for news and for special offers. They should have designed the email in a way that was specific to each purpose. And you can do that if, you have, if you're using something like MailChimp, for example, you could design the email in a way that has two different tick boxes that, that is more specific. So it was a good start, but what we would prefer is, um, is something a little bit more specific if you, if you want it to be in line with GDPR. So you, so you could use the same kind of template, but just make sure it's more specific per purpose. You can't just say you're gonna hear us, you're gonna hear from us about news and special offers. You'd have to get permission and reconsent for news and for special offers. So when you do this, you'd have to segregate all your data. Um, and what I would argue is you have to even be more specific about the frequency of how they're gonna receive the news. Now they may not want to hear you every 13 weeks, they may want to hear from you every 26 weeks, right? So it has to be a little bit more specific. And when you capture all this data, and if you're using something like MailChimp, for example, there is a way of segregating all those email lists. And you, you have to ensure that you communicate with these email lists in the most uh, appropriate way as specified. So this is what we've done, for example, our website. So the way we, so that's, that's, that's basically uh, capture, re, getting reconsent from your email list. I suggest you send them emails every couple of days until the 24th of May in order for you to basically recapture the data. So any data you, you've recaptured and it's specific for each purpose and it details the frequency, those lists now have to be stored effectively and they have to be um, segregated in the appropriate email lists and they have to be used in accordance to the frequency and to the specific purpose that they have given you consent for. This is very important. Now up to the 24th of May, if you haven't received, um, if say for example you received consent just, uh, from just 10% of your email list, then the 90% of your emails now you would have to totally remove and delete and erase. If you don't, you could be liable to 4% of your revenue and you could be liable to data breaches which will have PR implications and financial implications. So please make sure you start sending out these emails. You can use something like the Queen Mary one that we just showed you, but you have to slightly fix it as we said, um, which specifies for each purpose and specifies for the frequency. And then those emails would have to be segregated per purpose and for a specific frequency and they should be used for that specific purpose and specific frequency. If not, it will be a breach. Now, you also want to capture new non-donor data and you want to capture, for example, um, in, uh, you want to capture it in a way that is GDPR compliant. So this is what we've done. We've made sure that we are as compliant as possible. So we are in line with the data protection principles. We are specific and ambiguous and we're using it for the specified purpose and duration. Now, I've, we've given you a link here on the ICO's guidance on consent. Please read it. 
uh, and that would help you basically formulate the way you capture data. And don't forget to add your notification because when you capture consent, you still have to give a notification link. And what I mean by notification is not the donor notification that we spoke about earlier, but the notification um, document that you will do. You could put it online and you could put a tick box that they've said, I've read um, IERA's not notification or Solis's notification or Muntida Aid's notification on how my data will be uh, used, processed and collected and stored. Um, so that's important that they still have the notification as well. But in terms of consent, on our interfaces, we are putting this uh, up, which is we, we have specific purposes. So there's two main purposes here, and we've given them options on the frequency. And we've made sure that they understand the purpose. So as you can see, the first purpose is about sending updates on work. So we said here, I give permission for iERA to use my data for the purpose of sending me updates on their work and they can click daily, weekly or monthly. And the next purpose is, I give permission for IERA to use my data for the purposes of sending me fundraising appeals related to their work. And you can put daily, weekly or monthly. And we put an extra additional consent, if you like, to make sure any data collected will be used exclusively for the purpose for which I have granted permission above and put, uh, and they could tick that. Underneath, I would advise for you to put the notification saying, I have read IERA's notification or the organization's notification on how my data will be stored and collected and used. Um, and once they've read it, they can tick it and then they can process their consent. It's very important for you to do that. So this is probably the most robust way of doing so. And then this would be linked to our system, say for example, MailChimp and all the email lists will be categorized effectively. But it's so important. It is very important for you all to realize that you have to do this now. If you don't do this now, then any data you're collecting from now until the 20th of May, you'll have to do the same exercise again. You may lose all that data. So my advice is one of the first things operation you need to do is make sure in all your data interfaces where you're collecting any data that you have this GDPR compliant consent with a notification there as well. Please do so. Otherwise, you'll have, you may have to lose all of that data by the 25th. And by the way, you can't have the tick boxes ticked. This is not GDPR compliant. They have to be unticked first. They can't be by default ticked. That is very important for you to understand. So before we end, some additional notes. As I said, all servers must be in the EU. If you're using any data and it's been transmitted or transferred anywhere, those systems must be within the EU. If you share data, you need to seek further advice because as a charity, we do not share any of our data that we haven't really explored that. But if you're going to be sharing data, you need to seek further advice. We didn't really deal with HR and personnel data, uh, but please refer to the data protection policy we have given you. Um, also, you have to understand special category data, but because we don't store special category, category data, we didn't really um, address this, but we've given you the link here for you to understand the lawful basis for processing special category data. Now, just for you to understand, special category data is personal data, which the GDPR says is more sensitive and so needs more protection. And the sensitive data includes your race, ethnic origin, politics, religion, trade union membership, genetics, biometrics, health, sex life, or sexual orientation. So in order to lawfully process special category data, you must identify both a lawful basis under Article 6 and a separate condition for processing special category data under Article 9. And this you have to seek further advice for. 
Now we advise um, uh, governance consultants and we advise legal a legal team as well. I mean, our advice is that you go to Connaught Law or Communi Communicate Consulting. Um, I mean, we have received no financial benefit from recommending them. We're recommending them just because we've worked with them and this is very good. Um, but you can choose whoever you like. And uh, please note this webinar was to help you to get started and to have initial compliance. Um, you do need further work, but the good news is that you have um, a legal robust set of handouts. Uh, a legal robust set of handouts and these include a data protection policy that you could amend for your organization. Um, this was developed by a legal counsel and he is the leading the leading trainer on how to make sure that organizations and companies are GDPR compliant. Also, what you have to, uh, you have the notifications templates there for you to use uh, for your donors, and you have the legal exercise that we did concerning our merchant services, which is part of your own due diligence as well. And that's it, really. I think, uh, actually, there's one more. Sorry, one more side. What's coming next? We're going to be talking about risk management, which is my favorite, to be honest, because I think we have one of the best risk management uh, systems in place. Not only do we uh, assess the risk, but we assess with regards to likelihood and impact in a numerical fashion, and we give them a risk score. But we do pre-mitigation assessment, risk assessment, and post-mitigation risk assessment to see if our mitigations have lowered the likelihood of the risk of occurring or lowered the impact of the risk if it were to occur. And we have a risk management group and we have really, really robust policies in place that, that, that don't even slow down the organization, which is going to be very interesting. I'm really looking forward to discussing risk management with you, which is part of my previous expertise as a program and project management consultant. I used to work for government and non-government um, agencies uh, concerning risk and, and, and related work. And we're going to talk about safeguarding extremism, dignity at work policy, and much, much more. So if you really like this webinar, please share it. I do appreciate that we haven't covered everything of GDPR, but this was aimed at organizations and charities, specifically charities that didn't know anything about this. So it creates the awareness and we're giving, giving you hopefully some best practice for you to um, implement straight away, such as the notifications, such as how to deal with your donors, how to capture data now again, how to capture non-donor data in the most appropriate way, how to um, ensure that you get reconsent um, in, in, the, in the most appropriate way and in a way that is in line with GDPR. So that's it for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of the IERA Charity Management Series. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review if you found it beneficial. That allows others to discover this podcast. This series is part of IERA sharing best practice as a way of raising the standards within the Muslim charity sector and beyond. For more information, visit IERA.org.